Thank you, worship team. What a, what a great reminder that our God is indeed the Ancient of Days. He is everlasting and He's ever with us. Uh, just a quick observation. If you're new here to Berean, we don't usually have such a robust worship team here. So you kind of got uh, all the stops pulled out today. And uh, what a great thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us today. Uh, we were joking in the prayer room, you know, you've heard of ELO. This is BLO, the Berean Light Orchestra. So, uh, but that's fun to, to celebrate together. So, um, let me just give you a little perspective about where we're at. Because God is at work doing things, even though we may not realize it. We're, this is the last day of February of, of 2021, and uh, some really cool things have happened. We've been able to re- return to having our youth group be live, and we're doing that. Uh, we've got Awana started up again. It's you know a small version of it, but it's moving forward, and it's really cool. Let me tell you about something else that happens here on Friday nights that maybe you didn't even know about. There's a group called Cultivate, made up of students both from Berean and other places, part of an FCA group, and this is a student-led ministry that is encouraging other students in Christ and to make their faith known. And this place is has a good amount of students, and it's it's really cool. It's really exciting to see what God is doing there. Let me tell you, this last Thursday, we had the first graduation of Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge here in a whole year. The last time we had a graduation was February 27, 2020. And so we we graduated two men. It was exciting. It was just the men clients, the women clients, the staff, and 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 their families. But it was a great step forward. It was a great little baby step. And what a great celebration. I'll tell you, when it goes public, if you need to be encouraged, come to a Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge graduation, because it is super exciting to see what God is doing. And so we're looking forward that God is is moving us along. And so even as we look to uh, this spring, uh, be looking for an email that's coming to you this, this week, asking if you're interested in being part of a Sunday school that... Uh, it's going to happen before the worship service sometime after after Easter. But we're just taking those baby steps, this little things as, as things open up and God moves us and in us, it's a great opportunity to see things move forward. And he has been faithful and he's going to continue to be faithful to us. And I, as much as anyone, feels the sorrow of losing Alex. But to know that God is going to be faithful to us in the future with that as well. So, just be encouraged that the Lord is at work, and he's at, at work in our midst. And so we, now we get to uh, look at God's word, and what a privilege to do that today. Well, let me tell you, uh, it's human nature to be able to point out self-absorption in other people, isn't it? We can, we can point that out pretty easily. But sometimes we have a hard time seeing it in ourselves. In a household with siblings, right? They can point out how, you know, the other sibling is shirking on their duty to take out the trash or to do the dishes. 
but we're quick to make an excuse for the reason why I need to take a break or, you know, I need to, to, to get a, you know, a respite from my duties. Or maybe, you know, point out selfishness or greed that a precious commodity is being used and taken up by somebody else in the family. In our house, it's ice cream, right? But we're quick to make excuses as to why I can help myself a couple times, or three times, or four times. And, you know, I'm sorry, the early bird catches the worm. We make excuses as to, you know, how our own selfishness can, can come into play, and it's all right. And then there's just... Uh, the other manifestation of the, the need to call attention to the self, right? And I, I guess I, I don't see any, any better manifestation than that of the selfie, right? And so, you know, and I'm not throwing shade on people who, this is me at the Super Bowl, by the way, selfie of myself and my closest friends here. We're still trying to figure out what that means. But the point is, you know, we... You know, and I'm not, I'm not throwing shade on the occasional uh, post out there to, to share with friends and family, but the incessant need to keep making this known to what I'm eating, what I'm doing, what I'm saying, and it's kind of like, yeah, okay, great, but we don't need to know every little move. But it's, it's a, a declaration of, hey, pay attention to me, I'm important. And we've all seen selfies go, go, go wrong where somebody puts themselves in a dangerous place and they fall off a cliff or an animal attacks them or, or they just, you know, some, what's happening behind them they're not aware of. And it's because the focus is on self. But for the follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus is in the process of weaning us from ourselves. Our own self-importance, our self-promotion, self-absorption, self-reliance, and self-focus. And it's not for the purpose of eradicating self or eradicating the lives he wants to give us. But rather, it's to set us free and to give us life. At the outset of Jesus' ministry here in the Gospel of Luke, he says in chapter 9, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, and, and daily follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet to lose their very soul? This is something Jesus taught very often and early in his ministry. But here's the truth. That's not a one-and-done process. It's not just a decision at a church service or even in our quiet time at the beginning of the morning. It is daily. It's moment by moment. It's second by second. And it's a constant struggle. So today, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, so if you want to crack your Bibles open there, that's where we'll be. As we saw last week, Jesus instituted a new covenant as he is heading to the cross even, he needs to address this in his followers, in his disciples, in us. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into what Jesus wants to uh, perhaps do in us today. So let's, uh, let's look to him. 
Lord, we're grateful for this word that you've given us. We're grateful for your desire to give us life and to release us from bondage to our self-absorption. Would you give us grace, Lord, to see what you have for us in your word? And would you use it to make us men and women who are more like Jesus, who are more fruitful, and who can enjoy you even more? So, Lord, do your work in us and do your work through us. It's your name I pray these things, Lord. Amen. So last week we started chapter 22. And we saw that Jesus was celebrating the Passover and breathed new life into the Passover. Indeed, that he was the new Passover to save us from the judgment we all deserve from rebelling against the Holy God. A new covenant that faith in him gives us his righteousness. That we can become his adopted sons and daughters, purchased with his body and his blood. And unfortunately, this is going to be brought on, Jesus going to the cross, sacrificing himself, by the influence of Satan. As one of Jesus' twelve disciples, Judas, will betray him. He will sell Jesus um, to betray him, to be uh, tried and crucified. And Jesus tells this to his disciples, one of you will betray me, in verse 23. And so it left us last week, the disciples asking who this might be. So Jesus, again, is ushering in a new covenant, a new era in salvation history. But there's some shifts that need to take place. and They have to do with self. And the first shift is the shift from self-promotion to a servant leadership. From self-promotion to servant leadership. Pick it up at verse 24. So realize, Jesus has just told his disciples that one of them was going to betray him. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered the greatest. Can you see that how that's kind of just out of place? Jesus just is telling them, look, I'm, I'm getting ready to suffer. My blood, my body is going to be given for you. And one of you is going to betray me. And then the conversation de- devolves into, who do you think is the greatest? Who do, you, who do you think is going to be you know, perceived as the most uh, popular? Who would get the most likes on their social media? Who is the greatest among us? It's interesting. Luke allows us to see the hearts and the minds of his disciples, of Jesus' disciples. And it would be funny if it weren't so painfully true. It probably reveals a little bit about what's going on in our own hearts. So in that first verse in 24, a dispute, that word dispute literally means in the Greek to love victory, to love to win. Someone who says, I have to win. And that means probably someone else needs to lose, to take a back seat, a lesser spot. You know, are these men following Jesus to build their own brand, to build their own self-significance? 
And again, Jesus is in the process of weaning us from ourselves. So in verse 25, he says to them, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. So the way of the world, kings, look, they live it's my way. And those in authority, they're called benefactors. Now, just a little Greek, uh, or I should say Roman background, those who are called benefactors, they were wealthy people who had civic influence. And they were exempt from taxes, but they were expected to do works that would benefit the, the whole uh, society, the neighborhood. But the problem is, it was often self-serving. Perhaps the project had to do with their own benefit. So let's say a man was a wealthy landowner who owned many fields of grain, and so he built, he built a, a place for the grain to be ground, right? Yeah, that, that's good, but it benefits him. Or he would do a project that somehow made others in debt to him. Kind of a quid pro quo type of a deal. Like, hey, I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to call for you a favor. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse in the future. So that's what those benefactors were doing. It was all self-motivated. He says, you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. That is the person who has the least status. And this is not the first time Jesus has talked about this. In chapter 9, they're having this dispute earlier. Who's the greatest? And he brings a little child among them and says, Hey, you know the person who's going to be the greatest is the one who's like this little child among us. And then he goes on and says, And the one who rules or leads like one who serves. The guy in charge, he's actually going to be the servant. My dad, as many of you know, wrestled in both college and, and in the Olympics. But he said, you know, one of the interesting things that took place while he was wrestling was uh, there was a kind of a, a hierarchy. And so the freshman wrestlers always had to carry the seniors' bags. That's the way of the world, right? Seniority. Those who are at the top of the totem pole, they're not served. They're served by those who are at the bottom of the totem pole. So Jesus kind of goes on with this logic, painting how the world operates. For who is greater? Is it not the one who is at the table? These are the worldly values. But Jesus says, I'm making a shift. He says, I'm going to be the model. Verse 27. But I am among you as one who serves. Guys, the model isn't what's there out in the world. It's me. Your master. Your savior. I'm the example. I'm the standard. The one who pours himself out for his disciples. The one who didn't come to be served, but to serve. Who is God in the flesh. If that doesn't humble us, I don't know what will. And he's bringing a different kingdom. The mark of greatness in the kingdom of God is not who is serving you, but who are you serving? 
Who are you coming alongside? Who are you pouring your life into? And let me tell you, I've been in church ministry for more than 30 years. I think there are a lot of Sunday school teachers, children's workers, janitors, people who work behind the scenes who have greater status in the kingdom of God than those who are up front as pastors, leaders, and people who are looking to gain attention to themselves through that public service. I think those who really pour themselves into others and not pointing to themselves, I think they are the ones who are great in the kingdom of God. If you really want to serve Christ, then serve others. Let me stop right here for a second, and I I want to give a pastoral warning. Because we have come through this COVID season. And, um, you know, we have really tried to be sensitive. We understand that people's health are in different places. People are, you know, have different comfort levels with things. Um, as far as just being in services and, and being together. And we understand that. And, you know what? We're not pressuring anybody to return too early. But here's, here's my warning is that COVID is going to end one day. And those of you who are especially enjoying our um, our online service broadcast, we're so glad you're able to take advantage of that. But don't let that become, especially if you're local, don't let that become your habit and your lifestyle. There's going to be a time for you, you're going to need to return to this this place physically where we can come together because it's hard to serve someone virtually. And so I just, I just want to say that, you know, I'm not putting any type of, type, type of timeline on this. And I want to be sensitive again, but, you know, as, as the COVID um, you know, virus is going to dissipate eventually, we need to be ready to return, to engage each other, to take those steps back towards serving one another. And it need not be serving just in the church either. Serving your neighbors. I know some of you have had some significant input into your neighbors as of late, and bless you, keep doing it. Keep coming alongside of those neighbors so that they can see the face of Jesus in you. Jesus continues here in verse 28. You are those who have stood uh, by my side in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones, on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So, again, while the disciples kind of get it wrong as far as being self-absorbed, as far as who's the greatest, he has positive review for them, saying, hey, you're the ones who stood by me in my trials. You're the ones who stood by me when the religious experts were trying to tear me down. And I value that. In standing with Jesus in his trials, they will stand with him in his kingdom. And as the Father has given Jesus care over the kingdom, so Jesus will give his disciples care over the kingdom. And he says to eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. And remember last week as Jesus was, you know, passing out the bread and, and, and the cup. He says, you know what, I'm not going to eat this meal or drink this cup again until 
it is fully fulfilled. That's talking about His coming back and the kingdom of God being in full bore. And Jesus is saying, look, you disciples, you twelve disciples, I'm going to put you in a place of judging on thrones of the twelve tribes of Israel's of Israel. He's saying this specifically to his disciples. They're going to lead and serve in the kingdom of God. So that's a role specifically for these disciples. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, he says, look, I still have responsibility for you if you're faithful. Way back in Luke chapter 19, Jesus tells this parable of the minas, or the parable of the talents, and you, as you read it in, in the Gospel of Matthew, where you know a, a, a master gives a lump of money or some talents to his servants, and he says, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to be faithful with it? And if you are faithful with it, I will give you greater responsibility in my kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying to his people, to us. But again, it's a shift to promote Jesus' kingdom and one of humility and not self-promotion. One of serving others and pouring into them rather than being served. And so my question, my dear brothers and sisters who want to follow Jesus, who are you serving in the name of Jesus for his kingdom? He's He's putting you in a place of servant leadership. Another shift that Jesus addresses is a shift from self-reliance to a dependence on God, even in weakness. So here's what Jesus says to his disciples. Verse Verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and then when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me, you will deny three times that you know me. Now last week, I talked about spiritual attack. I talked about how Satan came to Jesus before he started his earthly ministry and tried to tempt him. And Jesus thwarts him by responding with the word of God. And it says in chapter 4, verse 13, that Satan fled until an opportune time. And so the opportune time comes as Jesus is heading toward the cross to tempt Satan. I mean, excuse me, to tempt Judas, I should, should say. Where he's willing to offer up Jesus for a sum of money. Something within him was discontent, whether it was a desire for money or whether he didn't like what Jesus was doing. But he's willing to offer up Jesus for a price. But Jesus' words seem to indicate that Satan doesn't want to just stop with Judas. He's going after all the disciples. All of them. To sift them, if you will to pressure them, to persecute them, to put them in a place of trial where they're tempted to jettison their faith in their Savior, in their Messiah, in their Teacher. And he tells Simon, look, this is what Satan is doing. He wants to sift you. 
And he tells it to Simon, who Jesus regards as one who has influence over the rest of the disciples. And he knows that at the time of his arrest, they're all going to scatter, they're all going to abandon him, and they will be despondent as he goes to the cross, they will be in despair as they wrestle with his death, and they'll wonder, did we follow the wrong guy? What were we thinking when Jesus dies on that cross? What what were they thinking between Friday afternoon and that Sunday morning? Even Peter. And isn't that true of us when we, there seems like there's a death blow to something in our lives, like, okay, this is a horrible tragedy, we think it's over. And perhaps God has abandoned us, or he doesn't care at all, or he never was there to begin with. But God seems to do his most amazing work at that moment when something seems to be irretrievable or put to death. And Simon will be one of the first ones that Jesus reveals himself to when he's resurrected. And so he needs to go to his, his other brother disciples and encourage them, and strengthen them, and say, I have seen the Lord, the resurrected Christ. That is what Jesus is calling him to. Because their faith, perhaps, they may feel like is failing. Here's the thing. Is that Jesus knows this is coming. God knows it's coming. And it's coming to the disciples. And he doesn't stop it. He doesn't prevent it. He allows it to strengthen their faith. And the same is true with us. And I know none of us loves trials. None of us loves going through that, that moment like when we just don't know how God is going to deliver us. But that's where you build your faith in Christ. That's where you build the testimony. You know, years later, as the Apostle Peter will write his epistle. In chapter 1, he's going to say, though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He says, these have come so that your faith, that is of greater worth than gold, that's refined in the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor. When Jesus is revealed may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is is revealed. Again, sometimes God allows even Satan to bring adversity in our lives to strengthen our faith. In the book of Job, God allows Satan to have his way in Job's life. So at the end of that book, Job knows God in a totally different way. He strengthens his faith. The same with the followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus is preparing them. But this is where Jesus addresses self-reliance within this. Because Simon Peter is pretty convinced about his own loyalty, his own resolve to hang in there even when the the going gets tough. He says, Lord, I'm...
I mean, he loved Jesus. He was going to stick by him to the death. But this is all born out of his own flesh. And he's not able to weather the storm that's going to come his way. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. When push comes to shove, Peter will fail. How many times do we try and please God or serve God or obey Him in our own strength and our own resolve only to crash and burn? Because we're trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, by our own self-discipline. But here's the good news. When Simon Peter is restored by the resurrected Christ, when he is filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, a whole new boldness is given to him and not derived from his own power, his own flesh. He's able to stand before the Sanhedrin who tell them, who tell him and the other disciples, quit preaching this message or else. And later on, he's able to stand before Nero who will eventually have him crucified. And Peter says, okay, you're going to have me crucified? Then crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy of the same death as my Lord. But all because he is emboldened by his faith and his hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to this. He's also able to stand, he's also able to confess his own failure. To say, you know what? And I denied Jesus. Three times. I failed when I tried to stand in my own flesh. But Jesus restored me. Jesus took the rock that crumbled and restored me to use me, even though I messed up. And it's Christ in me that gives me the grace to do this, not my own flesh. And again, this is why, G- why Jesus commissions him to strengthen his brothers. So I don't know about you, when I read the Gospels, especially here in Luke, I'm encouraged when I see the disciples fail. Not because I want them to fail, but because I know that Jesus can use them in spite of their failures. And the same is true of us. Each of us is going to fail somewhere along the way. We're going to drop the ball. We're going to act in unbelief. But God still wants to use us as we learn to trust Him, as we learn to abide in Him, as we learn to depend upon Him. And He wants to shift our reliance from ourselves onto Him, even in our weakness. The Apostle Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter uh, 12, verse 10, will say, in my weakness, that I'm strong. Because it's not me. It's Jesus. And so the last shift I'm going to point out to is a shift from withholding ourselves to being all in. A shift from withholding ourselves to being all in. Verse 35. Then Jesus asked him, When I sent you Uh, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it. And also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. As it is written, he who is numbered 
with the transgressors, and I will, t- I will tell you, this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. And the disciples said, See, Lord, here are two things. That's enough, he replied. I want to start right here with us, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Is Jesus, his kingdom, his gospel, worth being all in for? Giving all of ourselves for that. Jesus reminds the disciples about a time when he sent them out. And if you want to read about that, it's in chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. And he says, okay, I want you to go out and preach. I want you to go out and minister in my name. But take no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic, just the very clothes on your back. And go and proclaim my message and trust that the Father is going to meet you. Trust that He's going to take care of you. And this was discipleship training for the twelve. Because they needed to know that God could take care of them. Even when they didn't have their own resources that they brought. Did you lack anything? No. That's the point. God can provide. God can take care of you. That was the training exercise that Jesus put his disciples through. But now there's a shift that's about to take place here. Because Jesus is going to send his disciples out into the world to proclaim the gospel. But now these things that you left behind, those things that you left out, those things that you perhaps withheld in the early exercise, earlier process, now employ them. Use them. Bring them to bear in pursuing the kingdom of God and making the gospel known. Take all that you have and use it for that. Be all in. And again, my question is, is Jesus' kingdom, his gospel, worth spending our earthly goods on? Worth spending our time and energy on? And here's a question I I want to ask each disciple, including myself, each follower of Jesus. Is there something we're holding back? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm all... I'm all... I'm all... I'm all in except for my iPad. You can use all these things except this. Or, I will Jesus is saying, those things that you have withheld, now employ. Use them. Use them. Now, I'm going to admit to you, this is a challenging passage here. Especially when it comes to the issue of swords, Okay? This is, this is interesting, because he mentions a sword. You know, if you don't have a sword, go sell your tunic and, and buy one. Now, here's a question. Is this Jesus endorsing the Second Amendment, right, for you to uh, buy a, a, a firearm and defend yourself? I don't know that I would use this passage 
to defend that, that point. I don't think that's that's clear. In fact, later on, in the same chapter, uh, the Apostle Peter's going to whip out a sword and cut off a guy, guy's ear, and Jesus is going to say, put down your sword, Peter. But the, the idea of a sword represents conflict. It represents separation. It represents adversity. And Jesus says, look, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And in that context, it's actually between family members even. But Jesus is saying, this is what's coming your way. Adversity. People, you know, wanting to divide from you. Maybe ostracize you. And then he talks about his own, his own reputation. Verse 37. It is written... And he was numbered in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. And Jesus is quoting Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. He was numbered with the transgressors, with the outlaws, with the rabble-rousers, with the troublemakers. Now, this literally comes to be when Jesus is crucified. He's crucified between two thieves, two rabble-rousers. That literally comes into play. But I'm not sure that Jesus is pointing so specifically to that as he is to what's going to happen to his reputation and the reputation of his disciples. You see, when the, when the religious experts put Jesus on the cross... They did so trying to make him a common criminal. And if you're familiar with you know, first century history, specifically biblical history, you know, uh, Jewish society and even Roman culture didn't necessarily view followers of Jesus and Jesus himself as good people. Some did, but others didn't. And if you read history, some people accuse uh, followers of Jesus as being cannibals because they eat the body and they drink the blood. They accuse them of being incestuous because they call each other's brothers and sisters. I mean, you know, it is fake news, but it was still news that was out there. That was the, that was the reputation that they were trying to pin on Christians. And the same thing happens to us today. And Jesus is asking, will you identify with me even if I'm considered a transgressor? Will you allow that to be your reputation as well? A rabble-rouser, a troublemaker, someone who's causing division. Or do we want to hold on to our own reputation with those around us. Because we don't want to be called bigots. We don't want to be called haters. We don't want to be called people who are exclusive. We don't want to have that label on ourselves. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are we holding back? Holding back from identifying with Him. Holding back 
from giving him our time, holding back our possessions. Are we all in? Now back to the sword matter for just a moment. Just because I want to I want to close up the end of this this passage. I don't think Jesus is so concerned about his disciples collecting swords. At the end of the year, you see the disciples saying, See, Lord, here are two swords. And Jesus goes, That's enough. <laughs> see, Jesus wasn't concerned that each one of his disciples owned a sword. In fact, I think he was kind of going, You're missing the point when he said, That's enough. But more so, are you willing to vie for a kingdom? That will cost you all you have, and it's worth having. Are you willing to be all in on me? Or are you withholding? Are we all in in following Jesus? Or are we withholding our stuff, our time, our reputation? Because he's calling us to a greater kingdom. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. That's why he's trying to wean us from ourselves. From self-promotion to being a servant leader. From self-reliance to God-dependence, even in weakness. From self-withholding to being all in. Jesus is seeking to wean us from ourselves. And the question is, will we trust him? Will we take him at his word? Will we move towards him in faith? In denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him and making ourselves available to him and all that he wants to do. To give us life. To give us life. Jesus wants to wean us from ourselves to give us life. Let me pray, and then Bobby, will you and the worship team come and close us? So Lord Jesus, these are your famous last words as you head to the cross. And again, you have to address our self-absorption. So I pray that you'll give us grace to approach and serve others as you served us. Lord, to be reliant upon you and indeed, Lord, to release the things that we're holding on to that we might be all in for you. I thank you for these challenging words, Lord. I pray that you'll make it so in us. Help us be all in for you. And it's in your name I pray these things. Amen.